Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the PGA DFS First Look Show for the Bermuda Championship. It's going to be a, a fun one. I say that with maybe a little bit of sarcasm, Jeff, this week as we are heading for another one of these seaside challenges, I'll call them. And the problem with them is, Jeff, is uh, we don't have shot tracker. We don't have our normal technology that us gamers and DGENs are all used to and loving. Uh, so it, it maybe gets the horse ra- racing a little bit when you see player uh, one shot from the tee for about 20 minutes, right? It definitely provides a, a different element this week. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, you know, off-site or off-mainland uh, events. They just don't they don't get the technology out there or whatever, for whatever reason. I don't really know, but uh, PJ hasn't invested into it yet, so we get to go a little bit blind if you're going online. Um, and uh, obviously a lot weaker field with uh, not many top players wanting to travel uh, at this point, uh, you know, with Augusta so close. So a couple different things going on. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. We had one of these similar events in Corrales. It's uh, – it's still pretty fun to watch. And quite frankly, it's still pretty fun to play. And with uh, Augusta coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, guys, keep your eye on the still. So. Yeah, for sure. And, and hey, listen, there's still $100,000 to first place for the $10, $100,000 to, to first place for the $800. So it's not like we're getting that much of a dip in action in terms of a regular PGA Tour week. So you definitely got to love all of that. So we've got a lot to talk about as well from uh, last week. We're going to do a little bit of a, an Augusta preview, especially because – a lot of the guys that played last week, we won't see again until Augusta in a couple of weeks. Uh, so let's start it off with one of our guys and, and a guy that, of course, I love. Um, I am El Presidente of the fan club uh, of Patrick Cantlay, unofficially, of course. Um, and he finally closes. He struggled at the Shriners uh, to close it out there. He should have won it. Now here, he just comes in and it was a it was a total display of his, his game. I mean, he didn't rely on his putting. He gained about a stroke around, which is good for the winner. Gained everywhere, though, and and that's the upside that I love about Patrick Cantlay. Yeah, that was kind of what turned me on to him, um, you know, pre-event as well. Um, I wasn't someone I was, like, really high on right off the bat. He didn't suck out, but you, you look at what he was doing, and he played quite a bit, you know, from the uh, from when he came back from that, like, he got a deviated septum or something. He, he So he took a little bit longer break after the COVID, but – you saw him come back. His numbers weren't jumping off the page in terms of results, but you could just see him getting a little bit sharper. It kind of felt like every week. And the off-the-tee game was really solid the last couple of times out. That's what kind of really convinced me that he, he, you know, something good might be coming. So and you looked at those odds last week. Uh, that was where I made most of my cash off the Cantlay outright. You know, he, he, he was going off at like 17, 18 to 1 at a lot of spots. Yep. Again, in the summer. Now you get him here at like a pretty limited. It wasn't like that great a field event at like 2,800 or better. And I saw a lot of spots. So that's, uh, that was tempting. And, uh, you know, from the, uh, the DraftKings perspective too, it was, um, it was a good, good value. I mean, a 9,400 really. So yeah, I agree. It is nice to... Yeah. Sub 10% ownership as well. It, it, it obviously yeah. found your way to him, which, you know, uh, I was able to, you were able to as well. We'll get into it. Of course, in our DFS review. You mentioned, though, that he was kind of simmering, right? At the CJ Cup, he just lost strokes putting. One of the knocks about Patrick Cantlay when he first came back was is that he didn't have an elite around at the green game. Then he struggled with his chipping, his putting, especially his bunker play. But now, I mean, he's a pretty elite around the green uh, player. I mean, the last time they lost with the PGA, and it's only marginally. And he hasn't lost over a quarter of a stroke in you know since the safe way of last year. So we're talking well over a year really transformed his game. And I think that's why we're going to see him again compete in two weeks at Augusta because he's got that part of his game now, which he didn't have before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if he's sharp, this sharp coming in, I mean, this is like the perfect lead up for him. I mean, he's, like I say, he's played a lot. Now he's got the win under his belt. And um, yeah, that, that's something that stuck out to me when I was looking at him too. I mean, like the around the green with him and the putting has been way more consistent of late. So it's just, uh, it just adds to the intrigue of Augusta, man. I mean, I don't think Catway was on many people's radars coming in, but he certainly is now. So, yeah, I mean, and remember, it was like, what, two years ago? Or it was the last year that he, he shot like a, he shoot like 63 there in round three? 
or something? I can't. Yeah, remember. he he made a run in round four. Um, he had the lead by himself at one point after he walked yeah. off of uh, fifteen. He had the lead, then threw it in the water on on sixteen. The guys that everybody was making basically a hole in one on. Yeah, did a terrible, terrible shot that that yeah. obviously cost him a chance to win and gave the tournament to his uh, his captain there, Tiger Woods. So um, I don't I don't know that that'll be happening this week, but we'll certainly get into that a little bit. But before we do, I want to tell you about an awesome promo code we got going on, and it is Halloween week. A little bit of a fan. Uh, I enjoy uh, getting all dressed up and all that fun stuff. And we've got an awesome promo code going on. It's Get an Awesome Plus uh, Platinum Weekly Pass for just $10.31 when you use promo code PUMPKIN at checkout. Listen, that's nearly $20 off the original price. And this package includes full access to Awesome Plus weekly tools, including player projections, ownership projections, and our premium Slack channel for all of our sports, not just PGA. Uh, and that is uh, including lineup builder and much more. This offer is valid through Halloween 1031. And listen, if you haven't joined yet, this might be the best time to do so. We just had an amazing night last night for our subscribers. Neil Orfield, an Osmond Plus member, he took down the million dollars on DraftKings. We had another sub takedown, second place in that. Osmo was all over the board, Jeff. I mean, what a performance. What better time to join, right? Yeah, no, I mean, look, you're talking to someone who's uh, worked for the site for a bit now. You know, I see the, the projections that come out every week. I mean, uh, it's just strong stuff that you're getting to work with. I mean, that's just my, that's the best way I can put it. I mean, you're just, uh, you're getting strong stuff from Alex every week. And it's really, really, uh, it, it's a pleasure to work with and then a pleasure to, to use probably for our users, as you can probably see by some of the results. So definitely uh, a good time. Uh, Any time is a good time, but, uh, you know, with football and, and good swing and, the master's coming up as so I spit on my microphone. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a great time. That's the best <laughs> We're excited about Augusta coming up. And that's a, actually a perfect uh, leadway, uh, Jeff, into the next section that I want to talk about for a second. It's, it's Rob and JT. Are they Augusta ready? And in my opinion, everything that I see in the game looks like they are. Maybe John Rom's struggling a little bit with his short game. That's what cost him, in my opinion, the tournament this week. He had a, you know, 14 footer on 18 to get into a playoff with Cantlay. Didn't do it. So who's more ready of those two? And would you be betting Rory McIlroy at lower odds than these guys? Because that's what it looks like right now. <laughs> yeah, man. I th- this is uh, co- coming into Augusta right now. It, it feels strange. Like I, I feel like probably uh, you want to give a, a slight edge to Justin Thomas. I just like the way he's going with his scoring clubs and his irons. I don't think he gets discounted as much off the tee at Augusta. There's there's a lot of room off the tee. Uh, I just like the way he's trending with those clubs. You saw the putter starting to heat up a bit. Doesn't have the greatest record at Augusta, I guess, just considering the top players. Most of the guys there have kind of been in contention. Never really seen JT in contention at Augusta. So maybe that's a big enough knock for me not to back him. I don't I, I don't really have much as bad to say about Rom. I mean, I think he can clean that up. But, you know, Rory at bigger odds, I'm, I might just lean there. I mean, I, I don't... I know Rory is just like, he just seems like he's just one round away. He just doesn't seem that far away to me. I know the, it, it's almost feels like Patrick can't like going into last week where he seemed further away than he actually was to putting in like a big week. And that maybe is why some people didn't like, you know, gravitate towards him for, for GBPs and DraftKings. It kind of feels like that with Rory where he's just not that far away. So I think right now I would go with the bigger odds with like DJ or Rory than, uh, than, than Justin or, or John Rahm at Augusta, but it is, it's tight betting those guys at the top right now. No, it sure is. And, and Rory, finally, he had actually really been struggling with his approaches uh, coming into last week and finally looked like he bucked that trend after the first round. He ended up gaining just shy of two strokes on the week. So a little shy of a half a stroke per round, but for him, it's trending in the right direction because it wasn't yeah. before that in a round no, it one. Wasn't. It was real trouble with his irons before that. Yeah. So good to see that now going into Augusta. Should give him uh, some pretty good credit. Now, uh, of course, the wild card in that is going to be Bryson DeChambeau, who is the odds favorite right now at eight to one. I mean, can that, can these guys compete with Bryson when Bryce, if Bryson's at his best putting and driving it the way that he does? Can, do you think at this point they can compete? I mean, I, I think they can. Um, I think they can compete. I, I think guys like Thomas and 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 maybe Rom especially can compete with with Bryson at uh, at Augusta. Like, I don't think. So let me ask you a different way. Is this, is Augusta different than Wingfoot where Bryson won't be able to dominate the field as much? Do you feel that? Yeah, way? I, I think that's a good way of putting it. I, I don't think Bryson will necessarily, do, can dominate the field as much because 
I feel like uh, Augusta will open it up more to to a player like Rom or, or JT who just gets hot with their like their scoring clubs. Even if it's not for like all four rounds, it's going to at least keep Bryson like in sight most likely. I mean, look, he could just come here, Bryson. I'm talking about and, and just dominate it, I guess. But for for Dustin, Rory, Justin, Rom, you even throw Shoffley in there. I still would think one of those guys would would be playing well enough to at least keep him in sight at Augusta because I don't think, um, you know, he's going to have an advantage off the tee, but I don't think it's going to be as pronounced maybe as Wingfoot where, you know, with the higher rough and stuff like that, it was just such a big advantage. And, and with his approaches clicking in too, I feel like the, the other players will will at least be able to keep him close to the point where, you know, we'll get at least like a showdown, even if Bryson is playing at the top of his game. So, um, that's kind of my feelings on it. I still really like the way this sets up for Bryson, but um, I think at the, at the same time, if he's going to win, one of these top players will will at least push him this week. Um, that's kind of my feelings on it. Uh, I, I, the, the one thing, the other thing about Bryson is, I guess, do you know if he's playing in Houston next week? I don't. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think Bryson. Yeah. I, I think he already said he's not playing. Seems strange. Seems a little strange to go like what was he going to be like four or five weeks? No, no play going yeah, into. Plus, the- he's trying to do something different, of course. And, and yeah. we saw that it, it didn't quite. It didn't click right away, right? When we first came back, he, he of course had had debuted this new transformation yeah. and had a lot of top tens, a lot of top fives. He didn't get the win until the Rocket Mortgage. Again, don't get me wrong. I, I think this guy is is of course ready to play. I do tend to agree with you that he can't pull away from the course. The only way we've ever seen somebody pull away at the Masters, the last time I can remember it, and yes, I'm bringing it up, but it's the time that Speed set the scoring record or at least tied the scoring record. He made every single putt he looked at this week, or yeah. that week, I should say. Um, so I think Bryson would have to do that, even if he's getting a pitch shot into every hole. So he's got four yards into every he hole. Is, he is capable. Of that. He is capable. He's capable. Now his 40-yard game has to be decent, and he still has to play. Yeah. So, um, and we know the around-the-green complexes at Augusta uh, are not going to be what he's, you know, what he even saw at Wingfoot. They're going to be even harder. So um, mm-hmm. I do think it brings in there. A couple more things. Uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson really searching going into Augusta. Yeah. Are they even on your radar? Let's say for DFS purposes, what, what price would they have to be to be on your radar at, at the Masters? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, it's a major, we'll probably get fairly soft pricing. Um, I think Phil would have to be like, what, like I don't want to say sub seven because the pricing, because the, the, the master's field is, uh, it's pretty thin, but maybe, you know, he might get him at, at sub seven and that's probably where you would start to think about Phil. Um, they're not going to do Tiger down below seven, uh, eight no. thousand even. Like he's going to be priced up. Above that's that's exactly what I was just thinking with Tiger. Like I don't think you're going to get a super super cheap Tiger anyways. So it, it, it'll probably be a case where you know if he's like maybe like low eights, he'll still garner a little bit of ownership. But I think if he's like high eights, he might even get into that range where he ends up being like a good four or five percent owned play because. I think most people will be looking at it as, yeah, I mean, I know you'll get the Tiger guys out there. Like, I got to get a piece of Tiger at Augusta. But he could end up as, a, as like, a really good pivot play for the week um, just from an ownership perspective. It's still not someone I'm, like, super going to be super thrilled about to play, but it is Tiger at Augusta, and it is DFS. We're not necessarily betting him to win. We just need him to pay off the salary, right? So exactly. it'll be interesting. Tiger's salary would be way more interesting than Phil's. Phil is just, like, if he's really cheap, yeah, maybe, like, a, D, uh, a flyer or something. But um, – Tiger will be a little bit more interesting to see, I think. For sure. Well, it's a perfect uh, leeway, actually, into uh, paying off your salary. As we're going to go into our DFS review of last week. Uh, and we're going to start off with the a little bit of a point distribution and ownership uh, talk. Patrick Cantlay, of course, he led the field 143 DraftKings points. Wow. I mean, 143 points. It's been a while since we've seen that type of score. Justin Thomas, 133. Ryan Palmer, 131. John Rahm, 130. Munoz and Watson, 165. Russ Henley there again, and man, that must uh, keep you excited, Jeff, to see Russ Henley continuing to perform. Cam Smith also at 116. Tony now good to see him bounce right back from COVID, 111. Also, maybe a little bit of trend with Finau and Jack Nicholas, of course, he's had a couple of good starts in a row for him at those. Roy McIlroy, even though he had a terrible first round, uh, 110 on the DraftKings point, so he's still... I think he might have even been in the top two or three in birdies for the week. Corey Connors, 109, yeah. and Xander Schauffele also could not avoid the big numbers, but put up 108 DraftKings points, so plenty going on there. Switching to ownership, 
The field was not getting off of Justin Thomas, who came in second. Webb Simpson, he was 22% owned, 18th. Colin Morikawa was pretty much the big chalk miss of last week. He was 20% owned and came 51st. John Rahm, 19% fourth. Reed, 17-17. Fitzpatrick, 17-25. Really, not much misses from the chalk. I mean, Neiman and Answer are kind of the guys that people have been gravitating to in that low 8K, high 7K range. Maybe those guys uh, failed to uh, do anything this week, Jeff. Uh, But for the most part, um, the chalk hit. But what we had was we had Patrick Cantlay low owned the winner, who was also priced pretty high. So we had a good element last week where if you matched up the good chalk with Cantlay, you had a good week. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Uh, You needed to match up the good chalk. I mean, we we did have guys like Fitzpatrick. Uh, You mentioned answer. You know, they dipped a little bit. Fitzpatrick started off so hot. Uh, I thought he was going to end up uh, really paying off there on Sunday. He had a terrible Sunday. Um, Morikawa was definitely the bust of the week, just from like a, a terrible week. perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think he played that badly, but um, you know, he obviously uh, didn't really pay off the the twenty percent ownership or anything like that. So, um, you know, he's a guy who said like when he gets out of contention, he has trouble concentrating. So maybe we should have expected that once he uh, he kind of got out, he was going to fade. But um, yep. Yeah, Munoz was was great shock too. Um, and and so many of these guys just moved up on the weekend, man. Like Xander was like in last. One of the last place, yep. <laughs> and then just uh just shot up the leaderboard. And then Rory was the same way. So really crazy kind of week, huge swings. I mean, I know I had a Cantley lineup that we'll look at in a sec that it wasn't even cashing before Sunday and then just vaulted up. I mean, it was actually getting pretty close. I needed a couple more guys to come do like Fitzpatrick, but um yeah, it was uh, it was a fairly chalky week, um, but like you said, you definitely need to be on like the right low ownership plays. Uh, Cantley obviously being the, the first. Yeah, let's check it out and see how some of our pros did, and uh, we'll start off with uh, Alex Austin Baker, uh, our own, and he could not. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, as my guy behind the glass uh, told me, Jordan, <laughs> I'm skipping out on the top GPP lineup. Before we go into Alex, oh yeah, let's look at that. I I always like to look at the top GPP, see how close I was, or see how close the projections were. And I'll tell you, the actually only thing that the projections missed for me last week, if you had done the Rom and Cantlay and used the projections, if you had locked those two in, which of course not necessarily going to happen, but um, it had Henley, Munoz, and Palmer. The only miss was Lanto Griffin. I faded him because I thought the ownership was going to be high, Jeff. It ended up coming in mildly at 10%. I thought it was going to be closer to 20. He ended up getting 107 points. So uh, it was a GPP win, though, however, a mass multi-answer win. Brown Dog, 19, put in 150 lineups. Total ownership of 80% for the winning lineup, 49.7 uh, for the salary. So he left some there. 7.44 was the score. Uh, happy to see Russ Henley in that lineup, I'm sure, Jeff, and no surprise with Munoz and Palmer. Um Pretty just pretty good line. Nobody priced under seven thousand for that line. Yeah, no, I mean the only guy I was obviously like that kind of came out. I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but the only guy I was really off off of this was Lando Griffin for sure. It's kind of similar as you. Munoz was heavily considered. I ended up going Smith over him, but it was really close between those two. Like them both, Henley. Uh, I thought was like a good. I was surprised he even got up to that much ownership just because his price had gone up so much. But you know he's just playing so well. Um, Cantley, obviously the key. And then Palmer, I, I didn't use Palmer, but I definitely understood the play. And I, I kind of, you know, liked him in that range. I ended up going with Paul Casey because he's Paul Casey and it was more of just a long-term thing. But, um, you know, Palmer, again, we really saw the recent form play out. Like those plays, like we talked about this, like Kucher, Fowler, Casey, they were all cheap, but like none of them really shot up and like paid yeah. off. It was None of them did. Like you had to go with like Munoz and Palmer, and the guys have been playing well. So again, I, I've probably said this on every fall show, but like the fall series just seems like such a momentum time of, really of the is. year that I, I I just think you you ride the recent form a lot here. So yeah, speaking of recent form, uh, I, I want to go back to Patrick Cantlay for one second uh, before we go into our pro review. Uh, you know, my parents and my mother she loves watching golf, and uh, she's been a golf fan for a while, and she noticed that Patrick Cantlay was chewing gum yesterday. She said yeah. she hated it. Mad now. Yeah, she said she absolutely hated it. She couldn't stand it. Thought it was wicked annoying. I, I'm going to bring up two questions. One, I noticed that he was less fidgety, however, with his feet, with his hands. So yeah. I think maybe it's taking some of that nervous energy away. One, do you agree with that? And two, do you care? 
I mean, I don't care about watching. I thought it was interesting. I, I chew gum a lot too, so I'm the same way. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should chew gum while I play golf. Right? Like, I'm probably going to try that next time. But I think you're right. I think it might have helped him a bit. It did. It does seem like something maybe he did like consciously because he he is a bit of a fidgeter, right, uh, around the fidgeting. ball. So, oh yeah, it could be something. I want to see if he does it like uh, going forward. Now, I mean, it obviously didn't hurt him. So yeah, exactly. Me too. And he also changed his putting stroke. He found something. He was coming more inside. Good to mention that. Right. I can't have those two notes um, before you. Okay, now let's go in and see if our, any of our pros found their way uh, to Patrick Cantley this week or last week, I should say. And Alex, uh, he went back to Justin Rose. And while Rose may have kind of failed a little bit on the uh, positional side, still 70% owned for Alex. So kind of taking that trend in these no-cut events of getting a little more aggressive. Rose did cut over 100 points, so actually really didn't do bad for his salary. Mm-hmm. I think he was yep. 74, 7,500. Obviously not a GPP winner uh, in Rose. You had to find Munoz or Palmer, but still he probably helped him out and at least get some good cashing. Justin Thomas, 36. Rory, 30. Kisner, 29. No surprise to see Kisner uh, there. The projections were really high on him, and he had a decent week. It was the Kucher and Casey that uh, he really struggled with. Put Paul Casey in there twice. Maybe I just thought about wanting to talk to him. Matt Fitzpatrick, 21. A miss on Morikawa, 19. A little bit of a miss on Webb was 17. And then only having a 6% Patrick Cantlay, uh, maybe that cost him a little bit, uh, Jeff. And I'll go run through mine really quickly first so you can kind of talk about them both. I had answer 54%. I found my way to Palmer Munoz, so that certainly helped my results. My GPP results were really good. Speed, 41%, uh, almost 100 points, so pretty good payoff there. Sungjae Im was a big miss for me, though. 25, uh, Fitzpatrick and Champ, pretty good there. And I also could not avoid Maury Cowher or Hovland. Uh, and I decided to play Rory over Rahm and Thomas for the most part, um, or not most part, I should say a little bit more ownership there. And I did find myself uh, double the field on Patrick Cantlay. So that certainly helped my results. Um, surprised to see Justin Rose at 70% for Alex, or do you think it's a, a real long-term thing that he's chasing here a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, I a little bit surprised to see him that high, but obviously felt pretty comfortable with it. Um, and again, one of those long-term things, I don't mind taking a shot with it. Like I said, it's not really worked out. Rose was literally the only player like that that worked out last week, but, um, I think he's obviously been projecting like that for Alex for a while to do this. So, um, this isn't just like a one thing I think where it just popped up. He's talked about it a bit. So kind of makes sense that he went overweight here is really cheap. Um, you, you just unlocked a lot with like using guys like that, obviously. Um, you know, he mixed in a little bit of Casey probably is a bit of a hedge, but, um, I, I'm pretty sure Rose was projecting better for him. So I was in shock to see him do that. I like his uh, ownership on the top players for sure. Uh, and obviously did hurt him a bit though. Cause it didn't get, you know, I don't think he got exposure to like Munoz uh, or Cam Smith really because he went so heavy on Justin Rose. So it did kind of limit him, but um, you know, putting all your eggs in one value basket, I'm fine with that. If you're really comfortable with the value play, I mean, I've definitely done that before too, where I just like, I, this guy is just screams out. I mean, so I, I think he just took a shot with him like that week. Uh, it's uh, kind of similar, I guess, what he did with answer just on a bit of a lesser scale. But again, you, the difference was you, you got exposure to like Munoz and Palmer there. So obviously really good calls on your part. And uh, like I said, I really like the Munoz and Smith uh, plays down there. So it made a ton of sense. And yeah, it was uh, one of those weeks. Like I, I mean, I saw the ownership levels on Cantlay again, just being low, but even just surprised that like, like you said, you went 18% on Cantlay, um, double the field, didn't have to do much there. Always something to take note of when you're making like, or you're MMEing or whatever. If you got a guy like Cantlay projecting for that low, man, you just don't need to go. race too many lineups to get double the field. And it helped you this week. Obviously you didn't even have, it wasn't even in your top 10 exposures and uh massive play for you there. So. Yeah. And, um, just a, just a quick recap, Alex used 53 players. I used 48 in uh, mine. His top line of $10 was 348 I actually, I didn't put 150 in the $10. I was a little bit too rich for my taste. Uh, but the contest that I played in, came in 45th. Uh, it actually was, I did make the top Jordan Speed line, uh, and it did come in 45th. So as you can see, uh, Speed actually did help pay off there. 45th out of, you know, a 30,000-person contest is certainly pretty close to the top 1%. So, uh, obviously, if that was a switch to Cam Champ, there it was very, very close to the top. But uh, yeah. that's, of course, why you- I I also fell. We talked about Champ. It's funny because I had Speed and Champ 
all targeted. And I had I had this one other lineup where I, I played Ann over him. Ann actually had a, a decent scoring week. Ann had over 100 points as well. Yeah, think, would have been. Uh, that. Yeah, in fact, he was really he actually was in one of the GPP lights, not the top one, but he was uh, no, but, he was pretty darn close up there. All right, let's take a look at uh, Brick seventy five. Take a look at he, how he did it. He went much more conservative. He started off with Rory at the top, twenty eight percent. Then he went to JT at twenty three. Matt Kuchar, a popular name certainly uh, with the projections last week. He was twenty three. Matt Fitzpatrick also the same. John Rom, Paul Casey, and this, again the second time we've seen that name pop up. Billy Horschel, Abe Answer, Ricky Fowler, Pat Reed, Scotty Scheffler. And he got double the field on Patrick Cantlay, which I think helped him obtain the 149th that he got in the $10. Now, we'll see how Brown Dog 19 did it. And I can promise you, Jeff, this is not me. I don't have a pseudo name or like another screen name I'm using. But Brown Dog's top exposure was 50% to Jordan Speed. So whether he's a fan of uh, mine and loves listening, to me, talk about speed, or if he's just a fan of Jordan Speed, found that to be really interesting uh, that he ended up with the winning lineup going Jordan Speed there up at the top. But as you can see, he had 41% Cantley, 34% Henley, 32% Griffin, 31% Palmer, and 31% Munoz. Jeff, that's going to get it done. He only used 22 players as well. So in a no cut, yeah. really, this was a go for broke strategy and it paid off. Do you know how many lineups he had? He had 150. Oh, so wow. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking he had like 20 or something. I, I would have understood it with like 20 because it's a smaller investment. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty ballsy. It looks like he didn't even have any JT either. Nope. Um, really ballsy to go that much and not get any exposure to JT. That's like a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, sure is. Uh, if he had had a hot Sunday, that would have been a way different story. Yeah, but, imagine that's a, that is an easy six-figure swing if, if JT wins this golf tournament. Yeah, at, at the same time, you know, again, I mentioned, like, you get lower on players. I mean, he went so far over on Cantlay, obviously yep. really playing for a Cantlay win, but, you know, Cantlay's a top player, man. I mean, it's, it's not like we're talking about, like, a 100-to-1 guy winning here. I mean, um, Again, with the, especially with these limited field events, you know, you get that much exposure to a lower on guy winning. It is huge. So obviously saw a payoff here. Yeah, the 50% speed, probably a little bit too rich, especially with guys like Champ and, and Benny Ann down on there in the same range. I would have rather spread it. But yeah, look, who cares? It worked out. <laughs> sure did. It, it sure did. All right, let's go into a couple of our lineup reviews. Um, I had a, my first top five in a GPP in quite some time. Uh, so we'll break down that lineup. The first lineup was... I'll call it my top lineup uh, of the week. And you're going to see between these two teams that I, I covered what would be considered probably the optimal lineup uh, with the guys that I did, but I couldn't pair them together. So not a huge payout. Uh, my ROM build, again, my miss with Morikawa. I don't even think Sung Jae was that big of a miss. He scored 80 points at 8K. He would have helped. He could have helped win one of these smaller events, but it was really Morikawa, 9,800 going to him over Cantley in this specific lineup. Found my way to Munoz, Palmer, and Spieth. I love those three together. I mean, they put up well over 300 points. I'll take yeah. that. I'll sign for that each and every week, Jeff, um, if I could. Uh, and we'll run quickly through my $100 one, which uh, came, uh, which was the top five lineup. That one had Justin Thomas and Patrick Cantlay, along with Cam Smith and Cam Camp. So I paired up the Camerons together. What I should have done, which probably cost me the win, was I decided to go Patrick Reed and go real heavy and dip all the way down to Richie Wierenski at 6,300. If I had split those two, even going like Matt Fitzpatrick and uh, one other guy in that range, like Scotty Scheffler, yeah, it would have been the winning lineup. But still, this is how I kind of built it out. Um, God, and I'm covered all the top guys. I got one. Yeah, it's such a crazy week, too, after that 61, man. I mean, you figure you like one more decent round, hey? Like, geez. Yeah, everything else was terrible. Four over and round four, yeah. even. Yeah, that was that was really the, the downfall there. And uh, now going to yours, you kind of found your way into a very similar build. You, you found your way to a low on Cantlay, but you uh, went a little bit more conservative. You threw up uh, Bubba Watson, Harris English, and Matt Fitzpatrick, Paul Casey, Cam Smith. So really, um, if you would just, like you said, gone from Paul Casey down to Ryan Palmer or Sebastian Munoz, this is a top 1% lineup. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Casey definitely killed me this week. Uh, the the Harris English chalk. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Him and Fitzpatrick, but really needed a little bit more. Is actually set up to have a better finish than this. I mean, obviously, I needed Cantlay to win on Sunday, which is big, huge. But you know, English and Fitzpatrick doing nothing on Sunday limited the upside. But you know, if I got off Casey to either you know a champ, 
or something like that. Um, definitely could add some some major potential. I like we definitely nailed the, the values talking about them last week with Munoz, Smith, Champ. Um, I, I regret not getting getting uh, more exposure to Justin Thomas or Rom in, in my top lineups this week. I definitely fell into the more cow trap too. It just felt like it was too cheap. Um, I thought he'd be low on coming off of a, a really less than stellar performance in the previous two weeks. Maybe yeah. we'll get that at the Masters. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But anyways, a solid week. Definitely obviously getting exposure to Cantlay. This really paid off and uh, solid enough in the other parts. Definitely Bubba, I mean, too, uh, I, I thought was a, a good play. Definitely paying off against playing so well, TD Green. So, it really is. Um, he's just went he's a little really bit interesting, down. actually, too, coming up from the Masters as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I think, uh, I think, Jeff, that'll do it for uh, last week. Uh, it was, again, a pretty good week. I liked the course. I don't didn't mind uh, you know a twenty four under or winner or whatever we got it. Um, you know it, it was good golf by the best in the world, and I think we'll probably get something very very similar this week as we transition into. Uh, but before we do, want to tell you about our Monday night football giveaway. Here's what you got to do: just check out the pin tweet on Osmo uh, at our Twitter handle at Osmo underscore com to enter the our Monday night giveaway to win a year's worth of Oslo Plus NFL. So what you're going to do is just follow the instructions on the graphic and predict whether Nick Foles or Jared Goff will have more passing yards. One random winner will be selected among the correct guesses. Be sure to check out uh, our giveaway on the Oslo underscore com Instagram handle as well to win a free month of Oslo Plus Platinum. Good luck. And uh, Jeff, I-, I like the game. It should be a fun game tonight. Good defenses. But I've got Jared Goff. Nick Foles just does not throw the ball that well, um, you know, or throw the ball that much. So I got Jared Goff winning that one. You're going to take Goff? I'm always going to take Nick Foles. So. Just in um, everything. You're just going to take Nick Foles, right? You're going to take Nick Foles. Um, yeah, it should be an interesting game. I mean, neither, neither team obviously um, throws the ball a ton. But, uh, I mean, look, the Bears are also, if you go by game script, the Bears could be throwing a little bit, a little bit more. Rams uh, run the ball, I think, more than any team in the league right now. So. Um, but it, it, I think I think that prop is actually gonna be really close. So you probably have a sweat either way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, now let's head in and talk a bit about Bermuda and Port Royal Golf Club. It's par 71, 6,900 yards. We saw Brendan Todd, of course, like I said uh, last year, win it at minus 241 over Harry Higgs. Par 71, 1,600 yards, three par fives, all very reachable. In fact, uh, the eighth hole, I think, was one of the easiest holes on the PGA Tour last year. Had like 240 birdies versus 90 pars and at 25 eagles. So definitely a scoring hole there. Uh, four par threes that all measure roughly around 200 yards, one under. And then 11 par fours with five or six of them under 400 yards. But at the same token, none really drivable. So that's why I think, uh, Jeff, you can see somebody like Brendan Todd being able to compete because even if you can drive it 350, you know, somebody yeah. that's hitting, hitting, let's just say, has a 40-yard approach shot versus Brendan Todd with a 100-yard approach shot, you know, most of the time I think they're probably getting it relatively close to each other, especially with how good Todd is with his wedges. Um so why don't you tell us a little bit about this Trent Jones senior design seaside course, uh, yep. a little bit about the stats that we got from last week or last year, I should say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously we didn't have strokes gain stats, so there's, there's not like a, the, the same amount to go on or anything, but uh, you know, Brandon Todd, he was pretty much, uh, I mean, he still struck the ball really well. It wasn't just like he got super off his putter. I think he was third in putts game for greens and regulation. Yep. He was sitting around 10th in greens and regulation too. He had a lot of fairways was 51st in driving distance. Um, again, like you mentioned, I mean, the, the par fives here were the scoring holes, um, you know, and, and the other thing just to mention about the course in general, like, uh, I mean, it's a seaside course, right? So, you know, when you're playing on on the, uh, along the ocean, which I think six holes do, like bashing driver just isn't really going to be that big of an option. So, um, you know, like Jason said, I just don't see the, like, it, we don't actually have that many big power hitters because it's a weakened field anyways, but, um, that's something else to consider, but I just don't think there's going to be that many opportunities to do it. So, um, we saw a lot of, um, like I said, uh, like pretty high green and, uh, green and regulation percentage, a little bit higher than, uh, the average tour, uh, looks like driving accuracy was actually fairly like tough to hit the fairways were it's a yeah. little bit lower than the tour average, but, um, at the same time, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure who that actually favors with a harder to hit fairways, just because um, 
you know, the wind plays a factor as well. You're on a seaside course. I don't think players are out necessarily out here bombing it. And that's what led to low accuracy numbers. It's probably just a case of, you know, maybe they're harder to hit and um, you know, maybe the wind played a bit of a factor. So all things considered, uh, you know, doesn't really look like it profiles as anything more than just a, a second shot course where uh, I don't think it's going to, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what you do off the tee, but uh, as long as you're solid off the tee, uh, you'd probably be fine here. Yeah. I, I am. I'm with you there for sure. I mean, when we see 54% of the fairways hit, uh, which is the fourth hardest on tour out of 40 something courses last year. Uh, typically then when you see the winning score still at minus 24, minus 21 for second place, minus 18 for a top five, you know that the rough length is, is obviously not going to matter. You know, like you said, we're going to hit about 66% of the greens. I, I will say I, I look, Brendan Todd hit about 71% of his fairways uh, last uh, year here. So yeah. um, certainly can be an advantage. There were other golfers out there like David Hearn and Ryan Armour who, you know, they really focus on their driving accuracy. But then you also had golfers like Aaron Wise and Wes Roach who only have a power game. So I really think it actually, there is not one player uh, that that you should be focusing on this week. I think it's pretty wide open. I think the best comparison from that accuracy profile is probably uh, Wahiley and uh, the Sony Open. Really skinny fairways, not good driving accuracy numbers. Everyone still blitzes it anyways because the rough just doesn't seem to matter much there. So probably uh, the best comparison just in terms of from what, what's going on off the tee. Yep, I think it's a, a great point. And as, uh, as you just mentioned in our chat, salaries just dropped. Uh, so we'll definitely yep. be talking about that here in a little bit. But first, before we go into salaries, or I guess I can mention that this guy is number two on the board. And yet again, it is Zalatory season on the PGA Tour. He got a top five in his last start. That's how he's getting the start here in Bermuda. But now all he needs is a made cut. So I had my calculations pretty much right, but it ended up being a five-way or a four-way tie for that type of fifth. So that's why he didn't actually gain the special temporary membership yet. Now all he needs is something like 20 points, which is a made cut. So if you were a betting man, how much money would you bet saying that he makes the cut this week and say that he gets a special temporary membership? Or is this a place for him to miss the cut? I don't think it's a place for him to miss the guy. I just think the field is too weak, right? I mean, um, I guess you could make the case that, you know, it's a little bit of a putting contest and, you know, maybe his ball striking isn't going to be as huge a deal here as it would be like some other course. But like at the same time, I just feel like he's a class above in, in that regards so much in this field that uh, with the weaker back half of this field, it'd be pretty shocking to see him miss the cut here, like to be honest. So yeah, um, yeah. I think he'll get it done here. Uh, maybe we'll even see him make like a little run at the wind on the weekend if he just get through the cut because uh, all the pressure will be off at that point. He'll he'll have achieved his goal, obviously, which is to get that uh, full-time status. So uh, yep. lots of things could be happening with Will Zalatoris. Yeah, and I think that's actually maybe a, a strong point. You see, if he makes the cut and, you know, he's not that high up, make sure you remember him for showdown because uh, I'm sure most people will be on him for showdown, but that could be a, a real confidence boost just knowing he got that done, so. No, he's a real quality player. We just saw him get a top 10 at the U.S. Open and a couple more top 10s after that on the PGA Tour. Uh, I think I think this guy's a stud. He's definitely going to be here. And we're, we're, we're approaching unprecedented territory that this guy, though, is, doesn't even have his card. Top almost 50 in the world. He's now the odds favorite on DraftKings. I see him at 11 and a half to one. Is this guy, is this guy really that much better than, say, a Doc Redman who got it done a very similar way to the special temporary membership who... In this field, he's 30 to one. Do we really want to be betting Zalatoris at 11 and a half when we have Doc Redmond at 30 to one? I mean, I, I can't bet Zalatoris at all. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll talk about him purely from a, a DK perspective, think, but yeah. um, like just from a, a, um, a betting perspective, I mean, and, and look, I don't like to say, oh, he hasn't got a Donna. He's only got one win on the Corn Ferry Tour. It's hard to win. It's hard to close out events, even for, yes. for top players. So, I don't think you necessarily hold that against them, but yeah, on the PGA, I mean, for to bet a 10 to one winner, man, you got to be really confident in a guy. I mean, coming in for, for form and everything like that. And, and for a young player, still not like super sharp with his putter at times and around the green, it's just not enough there. I mean, this is a tour, this is a, a course that's going to bring in so many styles of play and, and just, you know, cater to veteran players who get hot with their putter. Like we saw Hudson Swafford do, just not the type of event. I want to be targeting a 10 to one guy with, uh, with Zal Torres. So. Yeah. So that's the next thing I think is a great point to bring up about similarly to Corrales, which you got, you just brought up the winner there to this one with the field being so weak. 
you're going to get more variability. You know, you look yeah. and you see 11,100 for Brennan Todd and you're like, what, what week is this? What am I doing? So I think you have to take that with a, with a grain, you know, salt and understand that uh, this is just the field that we're in. Some people like this. Some people like the variability. Some people say, Hey, you know what? I'll take a Brendan Todd 11,100 and pair him up with Kelly Craft at 6,600. And that's how I'm going to get my edge. Totally understand. Other people, I can tell you that when they open up the app and they see Todd at 11, one, they're going to be like, okay, I'll see you next week. <laughs> understand that element as well. Me, I love it. I like digging in. And some of the dig-ins that I found at first, because we go over our first clicks here, and a name that I want to bring up that was absolutely destroying the European tour when uh, the European tour came back. And seems like this is kind of a similar field, honestly. I mean, there were some good players in, in those fields. Um, and there are a couple of good players here, not as many. But Rasmus Holgaard. He is under the commissioner's exemption foreign player list that he's playing on this week, which is definitely a new exemption for these type of tournaments. Um, I think Lucas Beauregard maybe got the other one because he's in this field as well. Um, but yeah. regardless, Rasmus Hogard, the teenager from Denmark, I believe, 45 to 1 this week. I clicked it because it's a similar field to what he's been mopping up over on the European tour. Yeah. Um, I, again, like, the only argument I can make here is again, we're talking about a young player coming over. Is this going to be like his first PGA start? Did he make, did, no, uh, he played the US Open. Yes, he opened. Missed yeah. the had a terrible day one. Yeah. So with these young European players, I just, I absolutely, and look, I almost missed out on Matthias Schwab at, at the Barracuda for, for this reason, but I just don't like to bet them when they first come over. It just feels like there's a bit of a switch and a lot of them just don't adjust well right off the bat. So, at the same time, this is a ridiculously weak field. Like this is insanely. Weak. This isn't a regular PGA Tour event, right? So I, I, compl- I think this is fine. I think you're, you're, I think the odds on Hogar are actually pretty good. Um, I was actually thinking he might be a little bit lower than that. So uh, for me, it comes down to he- between him and Justin Sue in that range for betting. You can definitely do both. I don't even think that's a bad way to start a card. I'm gonna lean Justin Sue. Yes. Um, probably won't have a piece of Hogar for betting. Definitely might have a piece of him for DFS, but. Um, both of those guys, this is a fantastic spot uh, for both of them. Um, I know I know you probably want to talk about Justin Sue too, but I mean, he's coming off a great event, obviously. Um, great ball strike numbers, last start. Um, do you, what is his status for the, the exemption? Does he need like a top five here or something? No, okay. So he he's working off of, uh, it got reset, right? So he came top 21 at the Barracuda, but that actually counted for last year. So he's only working off of a T14 and a T8. So he still needs a couple of more. Um, I think, of course, a a T3 or better would get it. I don't think a T5 does it, though. I'm pretty sure a a T5 would like him maybe one more, and he would need it. So he's getting close. But if we look at his Corrales stuff, he he had a tough weekend, 71-73. But what I loved, what I saw at Shriners, was like you said, the ball striking was the first time that I had seen Sue really. Of course, we don't have strokes gain numbers from Corrales, but I know he got it done with the putter there. I know his ball striking wasn't great. So now it's good to see him match up with the ball striking. I know he's a good putter. Seems like at 8,700 on DraftKings and at 44 to one, he just went down. He was 45 to one. I really like this kid. I, I think this might be in these type of fields. One of the last times we get him at this price. I think that he's going to end up getting on the PGA tour and becoming a pretty good player. I don't think he's going to win a big event like we saw Morikawa Wolf and Hovland already do, but I think yeah. he's going to fit in somewhere near those guys eventually. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget, like, Morkow's first win came at the Barracuda, like, yeah, which is basically exactly. the equivalent of this event, right? So, yeah. um, you know, very, very possible. And I think you're right. I think if he puts up one more big result, you're not going to get him at this price. So I would I'd probably rather take a shot with him over Hogarth. But, again, I, I understand both those names. Um, I'll just go through a couple other guys that stick yeah. out. And one thing we haven't mentioned either, the weather does look like it's going to get a little bit nuts. Not, not like crazy, crazy, but, um, you know, we're talking like 20-mile-per-hour winds on the weekend. That always can throw a wrench into things and just make okay. things a bit more of a variable event. And we already have like a crazy field. So uh, I kind of like Hor- nah, Norlander uh, at, uh, at uh, 40, 45 to 1 for similar reasons like that. He's just a good grinder, uh, good putter when he's on, good good approaches. Um, I like Wes Bryant for this course. This, this is just profiles as a massive Wes Bryant course. Very similar to RBC Heritage in a lot of regards. Yeah, people miss the fairway all the time, so he's missing it to begin with. So Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, he's actually improved in that area. So 
Um, again, you know, we're, I'm talking guys further down in the odds. I even got a 90 to one this morning on West Bryant. That was one of my first clicks. And oh, that's then, a great, um, great number. Um, you know, further down, I, I think uh, two guys have popped out for me in, in the longer odds. Um, Kelly Kraft, who um, good at Corrales, coming back from injury. His ball striking's starting to get a little more consistent. He has, he always competes in these, these kind of events. Yep. You see, you go through his record. I mean, second place at, um, you know, the, the Barbasol last year. He's got two top fives in Corrales. And then Rob Oppenheim was another just kind of veteran guy that stuck out 100 to 1. His ball striking has been good, was in contention at the Wyndham, another low scoring event. Um, I like those odds on him. He's 24th year last year, too. I think that's, uh, I think 100 to 1 on him in this field. I think you're getting a, at least a little bit of value there. So you just said um, a name of a tournament but I'm going to tell you about the name of a guy and it being the same thing. And a guy that you and I have talked about, he came in, let's see, uh, I got to count, came in the top at least 15 at the Shriners and it's Wyndham Clark. Now yeah. we know that he gets it done with his putter and his, and his off the tee game. We, we totally know that. And we know that we're going to need irons here. We lost, you know, almost like 3.2 at the Shriners at 90 to one is the irons just that poor where we can't click it or in this field, with maybe a little bit of an uptick, certainly an ability to use his driver. If the putter gets hot, it seems like 90 to 1 is pretty good value for Clark in this field. Yeah, no, I, I if you can get 90 to 1 and win him, Clark, I, I definitely like that. Uh player I talked about a couple weeks ago at the Shriners came through for, he was in contention, but he, he still came through for like a top 20 at like plus 900. Um, but yeah, I, I think 90 to 1 in this field for Wyndham Clark, if you can get that. Talking about a guy who can light it up with the putter. His off the tee game isn't going to be as big a factor here, but his approaches have been trending good. Like he's been inconsistent, but he, like he, he goes on a couple whole stretches where he's just firing. And then it's like, the only thing I worry about him here is if he can just stay away from the, like that, the bogey streaks that he kind of goes on. Cause you really can't make many bogeys here. I think Todd made like one last year. So um, it's just a low scoring event. Kind of like last week where I think Cantley ended up with like one or two bogeys on the week. So um, that's the only thing that worries me about Clark, but I think a 90 to one, far that's that's fine in this field like that's a really good number yep totally uh totally agree so let's go into a little bit of the dfs preview now that we've gone through our first clicks uh normally we'd give a couple of values out but the odds are a little bit behind it the way i at least where i look uh they're not the top 20 values are not on the board yet so let's talk a little bit about DraftKings. we do have salaries we won't have to guess like we did like last week jeff and uh, kind of make up our own prices uh, Brendan Todd, 11-1. I don't think it's a surprise uh, to see him come in above Zalatoris having the course history, even though their odds might be flipped. Um, we still get five guys above 10,000 with the way they're putting it out. You know, Varner, Redmond, Rio, all kind of playing pretty well. And, and I would consider the class of this field uh, actually all pretty good options up there. But are their prices all being above 10,000, Jeff, and scare you away where you're just going to go down to? Say Justin Sue, Aaron Wise to start the lineup this week. Um, you know, for, obviously these just dropped, so I mean we're just yep. digesting them. But like right now, I mean I'm I'm kind of liking the price on Grillo and Redmond. I think it might keep their, I think it's going to keep them, you know, from being uber chalk. Thirty percent owned, yes, exactly. I think, yeah. I think you'll see guys like Sue. Unfortunately, you might see Justin Sue be one of the more chalky players of the week. You might see guys like. Uh, uh, you know, even the Norlander play I threw out, unfortunately, you know, end up as, as pretty heavy chalk and uh, going down, uh, you know, uh, you know, guys like Patrick Rogers. So um, I think that, uh, you know, with people wanting to get, you know, just, I don't want to say a free square like Zalatoris or maybe Varner, but they'll probably feel like free squares that, uh, you know, one of Grillo and Redmond splitting ownership a little bit too. Yep. You might even just start with those two. I don't know. That's my first instinct. I, I think if I was leaning between those two, I might even lean Grillo. Um, again, the wind, the wind's going to be a little bit more of a factor this week. Grillo is just such a consistent ball striker in those conditions. Uh, I'm liking him over 10K uh, just from the first look here. I think that's going to be a place where if you're not, you know, going for like a Brendan Todd starting lineup mm-hmm. or something like that, um, then um, that's probably where I'd go. Yeah, Grillo, 100 points at the Shriners, but came in a tie for 34th. But it looks like that included maybe a quad or at least a triple. Uh, Sounds about right. (laughs) Yeah, seems seems right about Grillo uh, there. I will say, I I think that Harold Marner, he's been really, really close in in years past. Uh, We know he's got uh, the Australian PGA Championship win, so he's got a big international win. I just think with the game, with this guy's game, the win is inevitable. I really think that the PGA Tour win will come for him. I, I do think it's probably going to be at an event like this, though. I don't think it's going to be 
um, at least for his first one. He's even competed in majors. So I, I think this guy's real close. Um, I, I definitely like him. And, and we know Doc Redmond. I mean, this guy is, is a, one of the best young players in the game. Shot both rounds in the 60s at Shriners, but missed the cut. Um, so it just it really low-scoring event, which maybe makes me a little yep. nervous. Uh, then we go down the, the price a little bit, and we get some of those core veterans. Henrik Stenson is again in this field. He's, he's going to the seaside courses. But uh, we thought we had a free square with him at the Sanders and Punta Cana. And I'll, I'll tell you what, he's just not putting up the birdies. I mean, he only had four birdies in the two rounds at the Sanderson and only 16 at Corrales. Um, is he viable even at 9,300 this week? I mean, he would feel safe. But I don't know that Henrik Stenson's game is anywhere near where it needs to be. It, this I almost I feel like a fish saying it in this field, but like I really don't think he's a play. I, I would really I rather go again Ventura? with guy, yeah, with well, just with guys that have been playing more in the fall and playing well in the fall. Yep. Um, I brought up Norlander, the, the two Henrik Swedes. I can't believe I'm taking Norlander over Stenson in this spot, but like <laughs> that's probably where I would go or or go down to uh, like Mel Natty even at 9k. I mean just lighting it up with the putter and actually playing well with his approach shots. Like you said, he's making birdies. He's, he's playing well with the scoring clubs. Henrik Stenson is not playing well with the scoring clubs right now. So could it switch on a dime? Absolutely. Absolutely. It could sense it to come in here and make me look like an idiot next week. But (laughs) I just feel like we've, we see this every year in the fall swing and, and guys get, get hot. They come against weaker fields. They get confident. I would just play the, the, the people who have played a lot. That's the first thing I'll say. And uh, and you know played well with and made a lot of birdies in, in in the other fall series events. It sounds simple, but sometimes a simple thing is just the way to go. That's the approach I'm taking with Stenson this week. Um, I don't want to say I've completely written him off, but I'm probably going to fade him. Peter piping putter Malnati, um, piping hot. I guess I should have yeah. put in there as well. Nine thousand on the salary chart this week. I mean, this guy. I mean, what a. I, he has wrote it to, you know, probably over a million in earnings in his last two starts with a, a T5, a second place yep. at Sanderson, a T5 at Shriners. He's already got his card for the next year. Like, Yeah, he's already got his card. And he didn't, he's, he's got to play under the top 10 category right now. And he's already yeah. got a card for next year, pretty much locked up. So Peter Malnati, Seaside Course, given T41 at Corrales. Is he in your player pool this week at 9,000? Or do you think he will be, I should say? Especially with the high eights, which we'll get to in a second, which I, I feel is pretty low. Yeah, look, a lot of this is going to come down to ownership projections. Look, you can get, again, like I said, you can get ownership projections on, on Osmo.com. It's uh, it's one of the great features of it. It really helps you later in the week when things are coming in and stuff like that. So well, now he's going to be an ownership play. Uh, if he's not projecting as, as anything near chalk or anything, I'll probably get on him. But he's a little bit chalky, you know, to be be between him and Norlander. If I'm getting like half the ownership on Norlander, I am on Malnati. I'll probably go to Norlander. If it's equal, I'll probably uh, might go a little bit overweight in Malnati. So that's kind of where I'm looking. I like both those plays. You do have Hogar and Sue behind them too, but you can really, I mean, of, of those four, four guys I just met, you can play two of them. So I think that's probably what I'll be looking I mean, again, I just mentioned guys are playing well, playing a lot. I, I like I like all four of those guys for that reason. Maybe Hogart being last on the list, just because again, coming over from Europe, not not a, a pedigree thing or anything, but um, I think all four of those guys interesting. It's just going to be a later week in the call for me. So a guy that uh, is certainly popular amongst uh, the crowd of DFS players, and of good reason to be, um, because he's got all the talent in the world, but his variability is as high as it's ever been but at 8600 with a top 10 here last year Aaron Wise has at least shown a couple of times we had an eighth at the Barracuda and maybe that was three months ago but how about the T17 at Sanderson Farms a couple weeks ago seems like he's close and this might not be a bad event for uh to cash in at Aaron Wise at 8600 I think I'm I think I'm okay letting Aaron Wise beat me this week. I, I've just I've gotten to that point with Aaron. I've finally gotten to the point where I'm okay. I just it's good. It's good because it's it's tough to kick habits sometimes. Yeah, yeah it is. And um, you know, the Shriners was kind of like I, I wanted to see him at least make the cut at the Shriners after he had that good Sanderson, because I did use him a bit. I didn't go nuts, but I used him. And he just it's the same story, man. Like he started off okay like four under and then it's like 73. It's just like, what do you do? This is a, and that's at a course where he's played well at every year. So if he's not making the cut at the Shriners for me, I'm not paying up for him at the next tournament. I'm just not doing that. And I know this is like, we don't have any options to work with here, but like I'll go down and, and take a shot with like Maverick McNeely that gets hot with his putter. 
than, than go Aaron Wise this week. I'm just, uh, I, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Your Aaron Wise lately has been my Luke List lately. I, I chased that uh, Corrales top 10. I loved it. I Luke List it makes cuts. At least he makes cuts. Well, not the last two. And that's kind oh, of the problem. And, and I guess that's where I'm focusing is, is this just a product of the putter caught up to him in the last two events, which were more scoring events? And this is a good part, uh, spot to bounce back. Or are we maybe just regressing in form a little bit right now? Yeah, it might be a little bit of combo of both, right? I mean, definitely don't like him coming in um, off two missed cuts. At the same time, we know Luke List is like generally can just I don't want to say just turn it on, but you know, when he is on, I mean, his ball striking can easily lead the field this week. So power is not going to be a huge thing for him, but I mean, he's played well, at like RBC heritage before too. I mean, um, he played well at Corrales. Uh, I, I, again, you're asking me in this range, I would, and maybe this is my personal bias. Cause I just can't do Aaron wise. I would rather take a shot with Luke list hundred percent here. Oh, I think he showed sure. more at events like this. I think he's, even with the two missed cuts, we see this from lists sometimes where he can just dip with his putter or the ball striking just dips a little bit, but he, he can bounce back. And, and I feel more comfortable rostering Luke list here than Aaron wise, who it feels like even if Aaron wise plays well, he's going to find a way to get you like T 17 max. Whereas if list makes the cut and starts playing well, I think he could really get in there and win you a GPP this week. So I'm interested in list. I'm not interested in wise. That's my early take anyways. Hopefully I don't change because I really don't want to play Aaron Wise this week. So yeah, and it, it could be a spot where you might even be able to leverage that in the betting markets if you end up. Yeah, with true. Him. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Merrick McNeely mentioned if you're playing him, you're playing him for his putting, no doubt about it. And he does have a ton of upside because of that. He is one of the best putters when he gets hot on tour, but the rest of his game is going poorly. But I'll tell you, uh, not for his uh, significant other, Danielle Kang. Uh, maybe he can take some motivation from her because she's playing some great golf. I don't know if she ended up closing it out, but I know she had another chance to win. Um, you know, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, again, so yeah, she's, she's just been crushing it. Um, I'll look that up quickly. So why don't you uh, tell me your top uh, play under 8K this week as we kind of mark down this uh, field. We've got like Tom Lewis, who's, you know, obviously a GPP focus. Yeah, Kang came in second last week again. She's at the drive-on championship. She's absolutely us. Uh, scorching hot right now so maybe that goes to Maverick McNeely but um below 8k did anybody catch your mind uh, upon your first scrolling uh I know that's what we, it started it dropped when our show was already on so we yeah. only had a chance to really scroll it's good though you get our, our initial reactions I, I kind of like it West um, Brian I think maybe you mentioned 78 yeah no absolutely from from a DFS perspective and like I said I did get a good betting number on West Brian um 7800 though I like it it just sets up so well for him the, the approach game is clicking it was really good around the greens and uh, on the on the greens at Sanderson. I think he gained like five strokes around and putting combined, which you just love to see with Wes Bryan, especially at a course like Bermuda coming up. You know, it, it's it's short. What he does off the tee not going to be a huge difference. And then I, I I don't know if I mentioned, but like I did bet Tom Lewis at sixty six to one. He's sixty. I think he's sixty first in the world. Um, he is. He can. He can. He can come here and blitz this field. He can absolutely do that. Uh, a, a really solid young player. I like I like that. Um, maybe more for the betting perspective. I don't think you need, you'll need to go crazy on Tom Lewis to be over the field this week, at least. Um, but, you know, he did make the cut in his last time out. But he is, he's a streaky player who, again, I just feel like in this field, uh, very discounted at 66 to 1. Um, he's got like four professional wins. They've all kind of come. I mean, he's actually won in Portugal kind of in coastal courses before too. So something to think about, but... Um, that's definitely the player that sticks out the most there in the mid range. Uh, you mentioned Wyndham Clark. I, I'm definitely behind that. I think just a, as a talent, he sticks out. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Russell Knox is really interesting. I, he played so well at the Safeway, and then he's very much Aaron Wise, like in the seven K range right now. Russell Knox. Um, he just hasn't burned me as much because I haven't really been playing him. So uh, I don't know if I'll let Russell Knox burn me, but it's pretty tempting uh, at 7600 right there. Somebody at 7,200 that if you had told me maybe, you know, nine months ago uh, that he'd be 7,200 at the, at the Bermuda championship, I would have told you it's been a pretty big fall for <laughs> this Twitter personality and it's Max Homa. What is going on? I mean, the guy only scored eight points at the U S open, Yeah, you know, granted uh, is not much, but 7,200, it, it does feel cheap, but the form is way, way off there. Um, is, are you interested at all this week? 
I did look at Max Homa. He's like a hundred to one too. I mean, it is it is tempting. He is he is from a quality perspective probably, you know, sh- we should be talking about him in the same vein as Aaron Wise, like up there in that in that range, right? I think if he was playing with any even any decent form, that's where he'd be coming in. But like, I mean, he just he can't even like even when he made a cut, it's it's real bad. He can't score it's at all. Real bad, and and that's I think that's the biggest problem with me. Not only does he have to turn around his ball striking, like he's gotta he's gotta start sinking putts, and like, and he he sometimes doesn't even do that when he's playing well. So I don't I don't think I can do it. Uh, it is tempting because you look at this range, it's like wow, like he's going up against guys like Garnett and and McCumber. Although McCumber's actually been hitting it well, but yep. this is this is unfortunately the type of event where guys like Troy Merritt and and Garnett they just they come to life and. Um, you know, easier, easier to play courses. They, they dominate with their irons and putters. And I just don't think, I think this is more of just a, I'm, I'm trying to get my game together event for Max Homa than he's even thinking about the win this week. That's just the way I feel from looking at the stats and, and his paper. I have no idea what's going on in his mind, obviously, but um, that's, uh, that's how I'm viewing him. It's tempting, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to click that. We've got in the last four events here uh, for this guy, we've got cut T14, cut T23. And I'm talking about Doug Yim who, when he makes the weekend, it seems like he's scoring. It seems like he's getting into the top 25 right now. But when he's not, he's missing the cut. There's no in-between with him right now. Um, any interest in Doug Gim this week? And then we can end it with your one quick click from guys below 7K. Yeah, Doug Gim is interesting. Um, I haven't had to look like a chance to look into his stats yet, but um, I definitely got, you know, I kind of wrote down even just as a note, like looking to Doug Gim. Decent young player. I think more he'll be more of maybe a DraftKings, maybe a top 20 bet. We'll see what odds or something. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be considering him in this range, though. I, I think, you know, from, again, a talent perspective, he sticks out a little bit. Um, not really super sold. I do like Oppenheim in this range. I actually really kind of do like that play. So I, I, he was probably be my top play there. But I'll look into Gim, probably look into Cameron Percy a little bit, who's been really consistent, too. Should set up well for, again, just like more of a veterans course. So that, that's kind of where I'm looking at there. Um, I, I definitely have Gim, um, Gim on the radar, but uh, you know, not necessarily my top play going into the week. All right. Uh, last one here. You get to pick. This is the first time we get to say this, so of course I get to talk about it because it's been a while since this guy's been in a PGA Tour field, and his brother is in the field. So oh, yeah. the Schneider Jan Bros. Who do you got this week to beat the other? Do you think that Ali having his brother in the field gives him a little of that mojo? I mean, he's a guy that had a top five as a, in a major as an amateur. Um, and Or do you think Luke in his, you know, first or second professional start beats his brother? Apparently Luke Snyder Jan shot like a, six, a 59 a few weeks ago, like at a mini tour event or something. Explain. I think, I read, that. I, think I read that correctly. So... I'm going Ollie here, though, man. You got to go with Big Brother. I mean, I, look, I, I'm obviously an Ollie stand. If you follow me on Twitter, yeah, um, I did bet him at 150 to one. It was mainly for the each way. Trust me, it, Ollie's interesting, dude. He can like he. I think he actually leads the Corn Ferry Tour and birdies made. Just something to think about. Um, he can absolutely like always been his mo. He just can't. He just can't avoid the big numbers. He, he just can't like, avoid. He just can't avoid bogeys in general. Bogey. Like, yeah. just it's not even the big numbers. It's just like the bogeys. I mean. Uh, he goes on birdie bogey streaks just as often as he goes on birdie streaks, but he will absolutely light up the score sheet, which at 6,200 actually really puts him in play. I thought he might be like 6,700. Um, I, I almost guarantee I'll put him in, <laughs> but, um, yeah. and, and I actually, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. I actually think he is a really good play at that price. Um, because he, he, he's very Jordan speed esque He will just put up a ton of birdies might finish like T30, but finish top 10 scoring this week. Would not shock me in the least. Um, really I'd love to see him get a paycheck. Yeah, I, honestly, I would love to, I'd absolutely love to just see him get a paycheck at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd love yeah. to see him back on the PGA Tour. I love Hatless Ollie, man. He's the only golfer that won't wear a hat out there. And yeah. uh, got to love everybody with that personality. So, all right, that's going to do it for the PGA DFS First Look uh, show for the Bermuda Championship. Of course, uh, check out our showdown projections. They are free, of course, on Instagram for tonight's Monday Night Football game. And, of course... Don't forget, if you're not an Osmo Plus member, come and join the newest uh, Millionaire Maker crowd. We got some winners last night. Use promo code PUMPKIN, $10.31 upon checkout, and that's what you're going to get the weekly Platinum Plus, uh, plus Pass 4. So that was a that was a that uh, my second, like, 
three P's in a row. I tried the Peter Putter piping Malnati and, and got that one in there. So that's a good way to end it. So uh, until next week, we've got the Houston Championship or Open. I think it's the Vivint now. Um, and then it's the Masters, Jeff. So uh, tell me real quickly, who is going to win? Is Justin Sue going to win this golf run? Who is going to win? I think it's going to be a crazy little little bit of a crazy event just because of the win. I think you're going to get a veteran. I think you're going to see someone like I threw it Oppenheim. That's obviously my, my guy because I've bet him already. But I think you're going to see a guy like that win again. Very Hudson Swafford-esque. It just always seems to happen at it's these events. So I'm not going to – I'm going to stick, stick with that trend and just say we're going to get some random 101 winner. Well, that uh, is a good one to go out on. So, Jeff, thanks. And thanks, everybody, for joining. And we, of course, will see you next week, 3 o'clock for the Houston Open. Thanks, everybody.